Let me try to briefly catch you up on what we've been doing here during this season on Sunday mornings here at Four Oaks Church. We're in the middle of a series that we are calling Kept. And as we discovered last week, Kept, as First Peter tells us, is really a metaphor, it's a truth for all of our spiritual lives. That, that right now, whether we're cognitively aware of it or not, God is standing watch over your soul. You have, if you know Jesus Christ, God has given you an imperishable inheritance. Um, he's standing guard over this inheritance 24-7. We are safe and secure if we know Jesus Christ. Events like things that have happened to Gabe can, can happen to us at any time. But you need to know Gabe Peter's inheritance is not threatened. God is standing guard over it. And that's all of our stories if you know Jesus Christ. Peter also talks about the story of God's people, the church. You see, it's not just merely personal individuals that God keeps through Christ, but actually God keeps his people. God keeps the church. God God protects those who are his, his, his people. In fact, Christ has promised to build his church. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, here's the deal for Oaks. We know that while God keeps his church, that he's under no obligation to keep every local church. See, see, God will build his church and has been for 2,000 years, the church universal. But local churches, it's by God's grace that we are here, God's under no obligation to preserve us. But as we have celebrated 27 years as a church family, we're looking around and we're amazed and we're saying, God... You've kept us here as a church family, as a witness here to the gospel in Tallahassee. And we told that story last week, and you're going to be greatly relieved. We're not going to tell it again today, okay? But if you, want, if you weren't here, go online, foroakschurch.com. You can listen. You can watch as we sort of unpack that story. But we ended that service by, by posing a question, and it's the one that we want to begin to run, out net, run at now. Why? Why, God, have you kept us? For what purpose have you preserved your little old people here at Four Oaks Church? And, and last week, we began to, to kind of sketch out an overview of where we as leaders believe God is calling us, the blueprint, the DNA for the next five to ten years and what that looks like. So to, so to help you get up to speed, one, we, we handed out this, this campaign kept booklet last week. If you, if you didn't get one, you can get one on the way out. You may have gotten one on the way in. You can raise your hand. Somebody will bring you one, no doubt. Or, even easier, you can just watch this video. And we showed it last week. We'll show it again. The Four Oaks story is not our story. It's God's story. It's a story of His amazing work. A story of the enduring grace he's given in our nearly three decades of life together. He's rescued souls. He's reconciled relationships and restored marriages. He's healed. He's provided. He's graced. He's sustained. He's made us a family. He's held our church through years of wandering without a home. For two decades, we met in storefront spaces, school cafeterias, Tupperware supply warehouses and rented auditoriums. 
But wherever we've been, we would arrive to find that He was already there. He's preserved us through failed property deals, two to be exact. He's borne us through financial hardship, carried us through crisis, and held us together through seasons of turbulent change. It's really this simple. We have been kept by God, loved, protected, preserved, sustained, enabled, kept. And He's done this not so that we can simply settle. We believe we've been kept for a cause. We stand at a pivotal point in our story, a point where God has positioned us to dream together, to imagine how we might magnify and multiply our gospel impact in Tallahassee and throughout North Florida. By incomprehensible, unfathomable grace, we have been kept by God, kept to gather, kept to give, and kept to scatter. First, we've been kept to gather, to continue the legacy of wise and strategic stewardship of people and places. God meets us when we gather, so we want to do it often. And God has supplied for us places to gather, places to not only worship, but also to sink roots in our communities. To say, we're here to stay. We're not just passing, we're permanent. We've been kept together so that we might become an enduring gospel presence. We're also kept to give. We're set in our communities as stewards, called to impact where we live as God's agents of renewal, giving away ourselves and our resources to see God's purposes advance, to see the gospel spread, orphans cared for and adopted, to see women in crisis welcomed into homes and loved, and to contend for those who have no voice. Finally, we're kept to scatter to go and to proclaim Jesus to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of new life and living hope in Him. We want to see new gospel works established, new preachers and evangelists trained, and new salvation stories written through God's work in the gospel. We see a future where God multiplies our footprint and deepens our impact in Tallahassee and North Florida where new congregations are rising in our city and churches are planted around us, where Tallahassee shines brighter because we're here. To accomplish this, we need God. We need Him to order our steps. We need Him to provide for our needs, to refresh us with His power. And we need you. We need you to stand with us and say, we've been kept for a greater cause. I'm in. God has kept us for this moment, this purpose, and we believe he is inviting each of us to unite together, to engage together, to give together, and to experience him together so that his story can be seen and celebrated through the vision of Four Oaks Church. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're trying to be pretty upfront. We're not trying to do a shell game here. We're trying to be very clear that there is going to be a generosity component of, of this season. There'll be, there'll be a time here on, uh, towards the end of this series, March 5th, where we have an opportunity to offer up commitments to align our hearts and our resources with this vision. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But I want to kind of get 
behind that a little bit. Um, I, I said last week, this is primarily not a fundraising campaign, and that's not simply pastor speak, okay? I, 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 truly, I truly mean that. This is really an opportunity this season for us to engage our hearts before the Lord. And, and I want to get the thing behind the thing sort of in view for a second. Because when, we, when, when all of us, when we start hearing things about church and capital campaign and money and generosity, how those things land on us, I think, really reveal a lot about who we think the church is or what it is or what it's supposed to do or what value does it hold for us. It also kind of taps into our experiences. You know, all of us, if you're a Christian, you have a personal testimony, but guess what? We all have a church testimony, okay, for good and for, for bad. And so if I were to, to stick you on a psychiatrist's couch, okay, and I was to whisper the word church into your ear, and I was to tell you to free associate for an hour, okay, what would come out? Please don't do this right now. Do it in the privacy of your own homes, okay? But when you say, when you say church to me, a couple just immediate things that sort of, sort of come to mind. Fifth grade, First Presbyterian Church, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I had a Sunday school teacher, I kid you not, named Danny Jelly, and and he was just like his name, Danny Jelly. And he decided for some reason, some bizarre reason, to take these 10 fifth grade boys, of which I was one, on a tubing trip down the Hiawassee River. So it was 1980, we all had our tube socks with our stripes on that came up to our knee. You remember those, right? Met in the First Pres parking lot. Danny pulls up in his Ford Econoline van. There was no windows on this van. It felt like we were the bad news bears, okay? And, and Buttermaker was taking us across the country somewhere. There was no windows. There was no seat belts. Do you know why? Because there were no seats, okay, in that Ford Econoline van. He had us all lined up, sitting our backs against this metal, metal panel on the van, and embarked on a two- to three-hour drive over what I think were the hilliest, most mountainous, most nauseating East Tennessee roads you could ever imagine. And I still bear those scars to this day. I don't, I hate you, Danny Jelly, okay? They totally ruined me. First Pres morphed for Susan and I into Christ Chapel. Christ Chapel was everything that First Pres wasn't, both great churches. You've got to remember, at First Pres, we had the same order of worship for my whole 15 years there, and it never changed, not once. So Lord's Prayer, doxology, the Apostles' Creed. Ben Hayden preached for 24 minutes because that's what it took to, to get his sermon into the, into the TV slot. You know, you've heard me say this before, but Ben, ben always used to say, Presbyterians better do it right the first time because they're going to be doing it the same way for the next 100 years, okay? And, that's what, and that was my experience. And so when, we, when, when I walked into Christ Chapel where all my Campus Crusade for Christ friends went to church, I thought I was in a cult, okay? They were clapping during worship, okay? They were singing praise songs. I had never sung a song in the church written before 1820, ever, okay? Never, never in my life. But those were the sweetest memories, the sweetest people, the, the, the people of God, as when I think of the church, I think about all the poor youth pastors who just poured themselves into me. I had to be, I had to seem to them like the spiritual money pit, right? And it's something they, they just never saw their investment gain a return on until years, decades later. So, so, so for me, 
When we start talking about the church, you need to understand, I have to tell you this up front, I'm, I get excited about that. I, I've, I've got mainly life-giving memories when I think about my time with the people of God. But I also want you to know something. I recognize that that is not where everyone is here. I recognize that when someone utters the word church to you, that you may have painful memories, memories, bitter memories. The church didn't protect you. The church might, in fact, have really hurt you. Your church might have been a, a den of hypocrisy and legalism. Um, church was so bad that you're now just, at this point in your life, just totally disinterested, checked out, can't see how in the world this thing that we do could be relevant at all to your life. I just want you to know, wherever you are on that spectrum or somewhere in between, I think it's important that all of us bring our experiences back to the Word of God. Our, our aim is very simple this morning as we look at Ephesians 3. Who does God say the church is? What sort of value does God attach to what we do? And, and, and my goal is way, way, way beyond earning money for a capital campaign. And I say this from the bottom of my heart. I want, my aim, my prayer for all of us this morning is that God would begin to connect your heart to his heart and that you would see that his heart is with the people of God. The, the, the tainted, scarred, broken, sinful, messed up thing we call the church. And it's to that that Paul speaks this morning. Ephesians 3, we're going to begin in verse 4, read through verse 12. Listen to God's word. Paul says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Now hear this, hear, listen carefully who created all things so that through the church, the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, only you can do what only you can do. And that's to take all of our experiences, whatever they are, with the church and, and bring them under your word. To bring your word to our hearts and lives, to give us a fresh vision, to remind us of, of who exactly the church is, why it's significant that we do what we do, how you feel about the church, why you've given us the church. Lord, if, if, 
if our hearts are not captured by what is most important to you, Lord, we're just adrift. And so, Lord, we're asking for your help this morning. Speak this word to our hearts in your name. Amen. Paul uses an interesting word in this passage that can easily confuse us, and this word is mystery. The word mystery appears three times. And so when I say mystery to you, you may think Stephen King or Sherlock Holmes or if you're really old school, Clue. There's nothing like a good game of Clue, okay, on Saturday night, just saying, okay. It signifies the idea of mystery, that there's, there's something ominous has happened, something bad, something dark that has to be uncovered and figured out and, and put together in this riddle solved. That's not the way the Bible uses the word mystery. That's not what Paul means here. Mystery is more like treasure. It's a great truth that has been hidden for a time, but has now been revealed. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a folks digging for a treasure chest on an island and then at long last hauling it to the, to the surface, opening it up, finding untold jewels and wealth that have at long last sort of been pulled out of the ground. And Paul says, that is the church. What, what does he mean? See, Israel thought that it was God's plan to save a nation, and it was in the Old Testament. What they didn't understand, what no one understood, that God had an even grander plan, and that wasn't just to merely save a nation. God wanted to save the world. He wanted to save people, Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. He wanted to call them out. He wanted to bring them together, and he was going to call them the church. That is the mystery that Paul is talking about here that has now been revealed. And here's, here's what's pretty amazing about this. Do you know that every institution except one is temporary and we will not see in heaven? People will not marry or be given in marriage in heaven. And some of you are like thankful and others of you are sad. I won't ask which ones, okay? So be no parent-child relationships in heaven. There will not be the family unit in heaven, believe it or not. There will be only one family, one family only for eternity. And guess what that is? The family of God, the body of Christ. You know, as, as Katie Hughes said in her talk to the women a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if Katie came up with this, but I'm going to quote her, and she needs to act like she really said it, even if she didn't, okay, came up with it. The church is God's forever family. I love that. The church is God's forever family. And Paul's saying this was a great mystery. It's, this has been hidden, but now it has been revealed. And Paul says God had a grand purpose in bringing this mystery to fruition. Hey, look back at the text for a second. He has a great purpose in why he's brought all of us together. And this is pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. Okay, look at verse 9. He says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, for what purpose? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Paul says, the manifold witness of God. What is he talking about? Guys, manifold, okay? Manifold wisdom. Manifold means many-colored. 
It means a, a tapestry. So in the Septuagint, the word used for Joseph's coat, remember, remember Isaac gave him, I'm, I'm sorry, Jacob gave him this coat, and all his brothers were jealous of this coat. It says it's a coat of many colors. That's the same word. It just means multifaceted. All these colors and textures and fabrics all come together to make this beautiful, unified sort of garment. And, and Paul says God's character is like that. God has a manifold character, which means that he's multidimensional, to say the least. He has eternal attributes about himself, that he exists in this diversity as, as, as three persons in one, the Trinity. But yet all of these things unite, come together, and form this u- amazing unity of being. It's, 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 an, it's an amazing thing. And here's what's even more mind-blowing. Try to wrap your minds around this. God, Paul says, God has given us the church, us here, right here at Four Oaks, to display that, to, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Let me explain how this works. I've done this exercise before, but just go with it, okay? Look around at your neighbor. I am really mean it. Look around at your neighbor and tell them, there is really no good human reason why you're here with them. Just tell them that, okay? Just for fun, okay? Try not to start any arguments among our, our, our married couples here. Y'all did really well with that, okay? Just think about this for a second. Some of you are here climbing the corporate ladder. Some of you are here climbing utility poles for a living. Some of you homeschool, some of you public school, some of you private school, there are some no-schoolers out there, but I don't want to know who you are, okay? Please don't tell me that. There, there's some young families here. There's the blue hair brigade, and you know who you are, okay? And I won't point you out. There's different ethnicities represented here, not as many as we would like and trust God for, but there, but there are some. Um, there's people here cheering for different sports teams, okay? Guys, this is a pretty manifold group varied and diverse. On a human level, there's absolutely no reason why most of us would, would choose to be in here with other folks because we are so different. It was just, it, it, this, is, no, this is what's amazing. But for all the differences we have, we have one thing in common, and it is the most important thing. And don't say Florida State football. Okay? The most important thing, what is it? It's a one-word answer. It's always the same. Jesus. Jesus. That, that because of Jesus, our manifold existence, and varied and different as it is, we are here because of our common bond in Jesus Christ. That is what the church is. And Paul says, this is the way as we serve each other with our different gifts, as we look differently, as we come from different backgrounds, as we offer different perspectives. And sometimes those differences rub and they chafe and they're hard to work through. But ultimately, Paul says, but when they're submitted to Jesus Christ, you have this amazing tapestry. And it's a testimony to the world that this is what God is like. Whoa. That puts things in a little different perspective, doesn't it, about what we do here. All of a sudden, this isn't just about grabbing coffee and do we have a good children's ministry and can I make some network business connections between services or something like that. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God has a deep, lasting, eternal purpose for who we are 
and why he brings us together. Because I'm, I'm going to say something that it's such a no-brainer. You know this is true. Guys, we're, we're a deeply divided country right now. And ideologically, culturally, um, you know, we've got protests, we have people in angst, we have counter-protests, we have social media. Um, I, I don't know if this is the, you know, I'm not, I'm not a student of history, okay, although I did sleep in a Holiday Inn Express last night, not a student of history, but I'm pretty sure this is, I don't, I don't want to say it's as bad as it's ever been, but it's pretty bad. And when we think about, what do we do about that? Well, let, let me say something. No amount of diversity training or listening exercises or safe places on campuses is going to heal this wound. No human institution can fix what ills us. There's only one thing that can, and that is the gospel that unites the hearts of God's people here in the church. Because this is not pastoral hyperbole. I believe this to be the case. This is why I believe the local church is the last great hope of the world. As I, that is not a theology that I've concocted to sort of affirm my identity as a pastor. It's quite the opposite. My, my calling as a pastor, I, I couldn't stand up here otherwise. If what we're doing is simply the Rotary Club or the Touchdown Club and all those are the Women's Club and those are all Junior League, all those are important in their own context. But there's only one place that God has set his love and affection that says, that bride is mine. And she's to walk in a way that displays my manifold wisdom. And you look around and say, us? Yeah, us. It's amazing. It's the last great hope. You know, I was talking, again, talking to Will Peters last night on the phone. I was thinking about this. Here's a guy from Mariana and a guy from Chattanooga who otherwise probably wouldn't have a lot in common. Okay? Will is not a very good-looking man. Okay? Just, I'm just saying. Okay? <laughs> I'm saying this because I know he's going to listen to this. This is going to be so good. You know, Will's like awesome in racquetball. Do you know that? Like, Will's like an all-American racquetball player, and I'm a racquetball player. Okay? So, I mean, so there's, you know, we... We're from different backgrounds. We, we come from different places. But when we were talking last night, what, what transpired is only possible because of Jesus. He is a brother in Christ. He loves you. You love him. They love his family. We're all like, I mean, we're displaying right there the manifold wisdom of God. You know Will. He is up on that hospital floor sharing the gospel with all these other cancer patients and praying and laying on a hands. And it's like, whoa. Guys, that is the sweetness of what it means to be a part of the family of God. Here's a couple things Russ Moore says. I think these are just so good. He says, in the Bible, a local church, with all, let's let's be honest, with all its ridiculous flaws, guys, let's just be honest, we are a hot mess. If you don't know you're a hot mess, you are the hot mess. Trust me, okay? (laughs) Is the local church is an unveiling of the mystery of the universe, She is in a one-flesh union with Jesus such that as in a marriage, everything that belongs to her belongs to him. 
A, listen to this. A congregation in covenant with one another as an assembly of Christ's people is a colony of the coming global reign of Christ. A preview of what his kingdom will look like in the end. Did you know that you're a colony? <laughs> you ever thought about that? It's like, I just tried to get here, you know, 20 minutes late this morning. Thank you very much. We're an outpost. We're, we're, we're displaying the manifold wisdom of God. Our, our life together as a church family is telling a story about him. Russ Moore goes on. This is really good. Not just an outpost, but a body. The church is the flesh and bones of Jesus. It's his body, he tells us, inseparable from him as your heart and lungs and kidneys and fingers are from you. Now, this is, this is really convicting. Saying, I love Jesus, but not the church is as irrational as saying to your best friend, I like you, I just can't stand being around you. So your attitude towards the church reveals your attitude towards Jesus. Those are convicting words. In fact, you know, Paul just wants to, pour, to, to bring this home. The church is so important to God in fact, he tells us, look, look back in verse 10 for a second, that the church is actually the central act in God's redemptive plan that's being sort of acted out for the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I think Paul's probably talking about angels. He's talking about heavenly beings. So, so remember this. Angels are not omniscient. They're not om, omnipotent. They're limited, finite, like we are in certain ways. And they've been watching this play of redemption, God's salvation, unfold for the ages. And finally, at the penultimate moment, or the ultimate moment, the central act, the curtain goes down, and God says, here is my manifold wisdom. Here you go. It's the church. It's, it's my people, my broken people. It's, it's through us that God builds his kingdom, displays his glory. And the church, it's, it, it, and because this drama is being acted out in heaven, because it's also being acted out here. And that's why we believe what we do as a local church matters. Because if we are just playing church, if we're just playing religion, if we're just kind of going through the motions, guys, that, ah, we don't have time for that. We've got all sorts of other things we can give to, commit ourselves to. We're here because we truly believe God's manifold wisdom is being poured out, displayed through us. That's, that's why I'm here. That's why the elders and pastors have been spending this past season saying, God, what does that mean to display your manifold witness in the coming season here in Tallahassee and beyond? And so we began telling this story last week. We said there's, we think there's three things that God wants us to run at. There's three things that God has kept us for for this coming season. We talked about kept to gather, kept to give, and kept to scatter. And I want to talk for a minute about kept to gather. What does that mean? What is, what is the relevance for us here as a church family? And we're going to talk about the other two over the next couple of weeks. You know, we told the story last week of how we came to be in this building. Guys, can you believe this is eight years since we've moved in? This is our eighth year. And when we moved in, we, we had to wrestle with many issues, but here are two that we had to wrestle with 
in particular. One is this whole idea of do we even need church buildings? You know, so it can be the cry of an emerging millennial generation to say, we don't need buildings, we need to be kingdom people, on mission, out in the world, doing great things, and living in tiny houses, and all those sorts of things. And all of that works until what? You have kids, and it's like, ooh, we need a building. All right, building might be, might be kind of important. People say things like, well, there's no church buildings in the Bible, and it's like, no, totally untrue. Okay? Not only is there the temple and the synagogues, there's the home churches, Guys, it's always been the pattern of God's people to congregate locally. See, a lot of us have a, have, we don't have a hard time understanding this idea of the church universal. The church is out there. The church is all Christians in every time and every place. And the church is Tallahassee. But why, why the local church? It's the local church because this is, this is how the gospel spread. It's through relationships. It's through families. It's through networks of people. It's by us staking our claim in the ground here in the middle of this Kalar neighborhood and saying, we, we want to serve those around us. We want to reach them with the gospel. We want to be hospitable. We want you and you and you to bring your neighbors and your friends. And we want this to be a hub of activity. We want there to be permanence and, and presence. And so that's why building. We also had to wrestle with this issue of debt. And we're wrestling with it right now. Let me just say a couple things about debt, first of all. We, we love Dave Ramsey, okay, let me say this, but he is not invited to speak at this capital campaign, okay, let me just say this. Now, we, we love Dave. Dave's a big anti-debt guy. Guys, we, we don't think the Bible prohibits debt. We don't think debt is sinful, debt is wrong. We do believe that debt, though, needs to be wisely undertaken. And so when we moved into this building, we took out two mortgages to make all of that work. And we've been faithfully paying on this for the last seven years. And now we've reached a place of saying, you know what? It's time for us to get strategic about paying down the debt on this building. We can't do it all at one time, but we can begin to make aggressive, proactive progress against it. And, and, and why now? We're, we asked this question right now. One, um, we have a five-year loan that's coming, that, that's maturing here in the next month or so, and when it does, it resets, and most likely the rate will go up, and, and we're like, we need to catch that, nip it in the bud right now. We want to pay that off. It's about $850,000 is the smaller of our debts right now. We, we estimate that if we just simply continued to pay on the loan until it was paid off, we would lose about $350,000 worth of interest. Guys, we want to pay it off because we want to put that money to work in the kingdom. We want to send that to gospel partners. We want to plant churches. We, we want to invest in life issues that you're going to hear more about next week. We're, we really sense that, and we, we don't regret taking the loan out on this building. We, I, I, would, I would do it again. I don't know if our elders would do it again, but I would do it again. But we want to be strategic with it. And you know what? Most of us understand that, right? Because most of you have a loan on what? Your house, okay? Why do you have a, why do you, and, and if you're one of those who paid off your house in a, a year, okay, I don't want to hear, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. You did that. Why? Because it's an investment. Because you want to put down roots. You want to have a family. You want to, you know, all those things. That's the same reason for us, but we feel like it's time to get really serious about this so that we can run harder after being the manifold wisdom of God here in Tallahassee and 
beyond. You may say, okay, Pastor Paul, how, how is that going to happen? Okay, how is that, that going to happen? Under your seats, we kept it under there so it wouldn't be a distraction during the rest of the worship time. There, there, there's a card. Let me just say a couple things about this. You may, not, you may not know this, but it takes about $2 million a year to fund the ministries of the church, our partnerships with the Sojourn Network, our gospel partners, staff, ministries, the whole thing, about $2 million. And that is something that is possible because of your generosity, your generosity. And so when we think about what would it mean to like aggressively pay down this debt so that we can do the other things that you're going to hear more about over the next couple of weeks, how does that happen? So if you think about over two years, our church needs $4 million in its operating budget Obviously, the people of God, us, you, me, we're going to have to prayerfully consider expanding our giving. And you may say, well, what what does that mean for me? Well, on on that little side of that car that says the generosity pathway, everyone in here can locate themselves on that somewhere. Whether you're someone who has never given to the church or rarely gives to the church or someone who is an amazingly gifted, generous giver. And let me just say this, I don't know who you are on this chart. Don't, please don't come tell me, okay? Don't mark, a, mark it with a star and give it to me. Don't do anything like that. This is between you and the Lord. And we're asking everyone to consider, what would it look like, wherever you are on this pathway, to take a step forward? Maybe you're someone who rarely gives to the church, and a big step for you is just to consistently give. Some of you may give consistently but not proportionally or sacrificially. What would it look like to move forward in that way? Then you can see on the other side of the card, it asks you to sort of estimate those things for yourself. Here's what we give now. Here's what we, we're trusting God to, to give in addition to that over these next two years. And I'll, and I'll use an example for this. Let's say that you're someone, this is purely fictitious, that you give $500 a month to this church. That's about 6000 a year. And you're like, I don't, I'm tapped out. I don't know, I don't, I don't know, I don't have a lot of assets. I don't, I don't know where that money would come from, Pastor Paul. But then you go to start looking at your um, credit card statement like I did this past week, and you realize, hmm, between Newberry, Netflix, and Hulu, that's about a month that we spend, okay? And it's not two digits, okay? I'm ashamed to say. So, well, you know, that's something. Well, well, well God, maybe, maybe, that's a, maybe that's a path forward. It seems like so little, but over time, it, it's, it's meaningful. It's significant. And we're just asking everybody in the church to consider doing that. Wherever you are in this, if you call Four Oaks your home, if you receive ministry here, if you're a part of the body here, you serve here, if you enjoy the preaching, teaching here, we want God to unite your heart, your resources to the manifold wisdom that is being displayed through this body. We're not going to lock the doors and keep you in here until you turn in a card. We're not going to do anything like that at all. We're not going to pass the plate. There's just going to be an opportunity on March 5th to, to fold that card up and on the way out, slip it in the box to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I want to be a part of what God is doing here at Four Oaks Church. And, and we'll communicate more about this. So let me close by, 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 by sharing something personal. I realize that there are a lot of worthy things to give our money and resources to, good things. Mission partners, campus ministries, 
Compassion International, Ugandan orphanages. I mention those because Susan and I have given to many of those, and I know many of you have given to many of those, and, and our church has. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. But let me tell you why Susan and I are give to this church and why we are prayerfully considering our own participation in it. And by the way, that would be hypocritical for me to call you to this and our leaders to call you to this and for us as leaders not to be walking by example in these things. And there, there's two reasons really that Susan and I give to Four Oaks. Okay? And one of those is biblical. We believe, and we can argue over this at lunch sometime, we believe the local church as displaying the manifold wisdom of God, as the people of God, should have the focus, the primariness in our giving. That comes from 1 Timothy 5, Galatians 6, 2 Corinthians 9, which calls the people of God to unite their hearts and their resources to that place where they are worshiping, learning, and part of the family of God. So there's a biblical reason. Guys, there's also something profoundly personal for us. You, know, you notice in your, in your kept booklet, you have all these different testimonies, people's testimonies about their time and their experiences at Four Oaks. And I, I just want to t- share about mine briefly before we, before we close. Because when I was in college, I was part of a campus ministry. I was very involved. And the church was really just sort of an appendage or add-on for me in my spiritual life. I was sort of making independent decisions about who I was going to marry, that was basically, Susan was who I wanted to marry. She didn't know that she should marry me, and I was trying to convince her. Okay, that, we were kind of in that, in that dance. And I was deciding what I wanted to do with my career, and I sort of kind of independently, autonomously decided I was going to go to seminary. And somehow I convinced Susan along the way to get married, and we moved to Jackson, Mississippi together with very little input from anyone, very little input from the church. Which meant that after being in seminary four years, I graduated, and this will not engender confidence, but I'm going to tell you anyway, I had no idea what I wanted to do. No idea. God, should I pastor? Should I counsel? Should I teach? Should I consult? What, what, what are you calling us to do? And so I did what any confused 20-something-year-old does when they don't know what to do with their life. I decided to enroll in more school. Okay, So we came here to Florida State. Susan's, for some reason... I had agreed to this plan, and she was teaching at Community Christian School. I was going to Florida State pursuing uh, a PhD, and, and we started attending Four Oaks just like you as lay people. We got involved at the time called a small group, but Scott wants me to tell you it's a community group, okay? So we got involved in a community group. We started serving. We kind of got to know the people. We begin to use our gifts, and, and before you know it, something unexpected happens. It's kind of what happens in a romance when you unexpectedly fall in love. All of a sudden, we were like, God's kind of knit our hearts to the people of God here at Four Oaks. And those leaders begin sort of speak into our lives and evaluate our calling and come alongside of us and begin to pour themselves into us and walk th- with us through some very, very dark times. Because this is not pastoral hyperbole. I really mean this. God saved us through Four Oaks. God kept us. God held us up. God united our hearts 
to this people. And so for us, it's not merely a biblical thing when we give, although it is biblical, it's grounded biblically. But the reason we give to this local church is because we love you. We love what God is doing here. And my prayer for you this season is that God would unite your hearts to the people of God. It may, let me say this, it may not be here at Four Oaks. Every church is not for every person. Thank the Lord for a diversity of churches. We have many great ones in Tallahassee. But I firmly believe, based upon passages like these, that God would have you unite your heart and your life to the people of God. The, the finances, the resources, all that will take care of itself. Because we give to what captures our hearts, don't we? Because I'm going to invite um, a couple up here to join me, John and Margaret Stewart. Most of you know them, or good many of you do. And I asked John and Margaret to, to come up here and to, and to pray for you. And I thought they were a great, a living, breathing example of what Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to say some really nice things about them. They're going to stand here awkwardly, okay, for just a moment. John and Margaret are founding members. Let me see, make sure that's on for you. Thank you. John and Margaret are founding members of Four Oaks Church. They've been here 27 years. Um, John's never been on staff. Margaret's never been on staff. Um, I said this to the first service, and I really mean it. If anyone has earned the right to leave Four Oaks, it's these two, because they've been through it all. And if they are leaving, I've asked them not to tell me till after the service. Okay, so please. Yeah, they're in. We know that. John and Margaret came here to start a business, but they chose Tallahassee because this is where Four Oaks was being planted. John and Margaret have seen their share of heartache and pain here, but John and Margaret are still here because God has wed their hearts to his people, his bride. They have three beautiful children that, were, that, that grew up here, that married here, that that have gone on. John has served in eldership and Margaret so faithfully in hospitality and y'all have been such a blessing to the Four Oaks family. And my prayer for you, and I'm going to ask them to pray for you in this way, is that God would do a similar thing in your heart and your life this season. Guys, if you just, if God could just wrap our, our souls around Ephesians 3, oh my goodness, guys, we would be changed forever in our city would be changed forever. So would you guys do the honors and pray for the Four Oaks family? Our privilege. Father, we, uh, uh, we come to you. You are in heaven. So I invite my brothers and sisters to um, join me with the manifold witness. Um, I think of the, uh, just the common relationships of so many people in this room that we have spent years with. And Margaret and I are coming up on 27 years here and, you know, a little less than half our life. And we have, uh, we certainly know uh, our flawedness and and the flawedness of this body. Yet there's just a beauty in it. There's a beauty in being known. There's a beauty in being um, committed. There's a beauty in being faithful. And and when I look to that, I, I uh, and I you know I visualize, Father, that we're that it's the um, the believers in this in Four Oaks uh, kneeling with Margie and I at the foot of your throne with Christ there. And uh, what is mesmerizing is the fact that if we're going to 
be kept and if if we are going to be undivided, if we're going to finish strong, it's going to be for what you do in us, not what we do for you. And we have seen time and time again that we're not enough. And I, uh, I am first among sinners in that category. But Father, I thank you that you are enough for this body. And you can do the manifold work individually in every person that's praying with me to give them an undivided heart so that they as couples and individuals can do the things and make the commitments that need to be made for us to prosper, for us to take the gospel to this city. So, Father, we want to make a difference. There is going to be a day where we bow before you and we give back to you everything we've done, and we'd like to finish well. So I'm asking you in the powerful name of Jesus, and Jesus, as we... um, Um, kneel before you we ask you to keep us and we ask you to give us an undivided heart so we can serve you with, with all of our heart all of our mind, all of our soul and all of our strength it's in Christ's name we pray Amen Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand I want to dismiss us with this this is the same passage listen to what Paul says about the church this is a great Great commission for us. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening today. Have a great Lord's Day. You are dismissed.